America's Democratic Republic is in trouble. We have socialism breathing down our necks. And socialists, America's Democratic Republic is in trouble. Socialism is breathing down our necks. And in case you don't know, socialism is an economic, and as, the, as our guests will tell us, a cultural system uh, that's uh, bigger than government just owning the means of production and the natural resources. Socialism is a stepping stone to communism. It's failed in every nation that's tried it. And unfortunately, many Americans are warming up to the idea, especially our young people. So joining me today to discuss socialism, what's taking place in America, and his latest film is Dinesh D'Souza, who has been called the master of conservative film genre. He's here to discuss socialism and his latest film, Trump Card, which will be released on October 9th. So, Dinesh, welcome back to the Be The People show. Carol, it's always a pleasure. Great to be on the show. And tell our listeners why, um, in fact, I read that, that you've said that this is your most important political film. Is that accurate, that you would say that was more important than uh, the two previous films that certainly had an impact on America? I think it's my most important and best film for really two reasons. One is that the country is really hanging in the balance here. The Democratic left has uh, unleashed a fury of fanaticism uh, and lawlessness that I think is without precedent, at least in my adult uh, lifetime. And uh, so the stakes are higher. Uh, I think the second thing is that uh, we've got with Trump this very unusual political leader, uh, not someone that we would have chosen in advance, not someone who even seemed to have the conservative credentials, perhaps not even the temperament uh, to be uh, the leader in a difficult time, and yet who's proving to be uh, an unbelievably resourceful fighter. And so that's why I titled the film Trump Card. Uh, it outlines the threat, which is socialism, uh, the left's desire to move us in the direction of socialism, and then Trump as the leader of the anti-socialist movement. And so, Dinesh, a lot of our listeners, you know, they hear us talking about socialism, but they may not know exactly what it is or why they should be concerned. Would you tell our listeners your experiences with uh Socialism? I grew up in India under socialism. India became a socialist country upon becoming independent. And when I was a kid, I remember a couple of features of socialism that stood out in my mind. One was the family ration card. We had a ration card, and that would set a limit on how much rice and cooking oil and sugar and other basic necessities our family could buy. So that's the first feature of socialism. It rations things, it creates scarcity, and then it sets limits. Uh, also, our family was on a seven-year wait to get a phone. Think about this. You had to wait seven years uh, for the government, which owned the phone company, uh, to provide you with a phone. And this shows how backward India was in those days. And, in, of course, India was also the, the begging bowl of the world. Now, India is doing better today, but why? 
simply because it's moved away from socialism. It's moved in the direction of a kind of liberal capitalism. And that has produced technological advancement, and it's also created a very large and successful Indian middle class. So my experience with socialism from my native country is that socialism is bad, uh, and moving away from it is the solution. And I know uh, your wife, Debbie, she's also had an experience with socialism. How has her experience differed from yours? Well, I grew up in a very poor country. Now, my family was middle class, so I didn't lack for any necessities. Uh, Debbie grew up uh, actually in quite an affluent family uh, in a very affluent country. Venezuela, people don't realize, was one of the richest countries in the world, an oil-rich country, also rich in many mineral and natural resources. Um, and Venezuela had a standard of living comparable to many parts of the United States. Uh, ironically, when Debbie moved from Venezuela to the Rio Grande Valley, the south part of Texas, she says in her own words she felt like she was moving to a third world country. Uh, and so this is a country, Venezuela, which had a two-party system. It had a free market system. There was corruption, but nevertheless, there was an operating market. And once socialism came, it didn't come overnight, but it came over a couple of decades it absolutely ruined the country. And today, an oil-rich country has to import oil. There are gas lines. Uh, people are starving. The country has essentially been economically wrecked. So Venezuela has gone from good to miserable, while India has gone from miserable to doing better. Oh, my. And when you look at America, where do you see us? Because the young people, and not just young people, old people follow Bernie Sanders. And uh, what is different about the kind of socialism that Americans seem to find appealing? And if you think about the COVID-19 coronavirus crisis, where the government stepped in and gave people, you know, lots of things to try to soften the blow of their not working, what do you see um, first? How's the Bernie Sanders socialism different? And then what dangers for us? Bernie Sanders is very much an old-style socialist, and you can see this in the places that he visits. Uh, he went for his honeymoon to Moscow. Uh, he said things like, bread lines are a good thing. Uh, he's a big fan of Castro and Cuba, of the uh, Sandinistas in Nicaragua. So this is the kind of old-line socialism. Now, when young people listen to Bernie, they don't really hear this. Uh, they hear things like, uh, minimum wage, universal basic income, free college, and so on. And so for young people today, and you have to have a little sympathy for them, they're growing up in a difficult world, college costs are ridiculously high, healthcare costs are unnecessarily high, and so this notion that of getting stuff for free, uh, or more accurately, getting other people to pay the bill, it's kind of like going to a restaurant and someone tells you, I'll get the guy at the next table to pay your bill. You're going to be like, wow, that sounds like a pretty good arrangement. So it's not that hard to understand why young people are tempted by socialism. They're not really, in a sense, anti-capitalist because if you were to say to them, okay, uh, young people, would you like to stop uh, using your iPhone and give up GPS and stop going on Uber and renting an Airbnb? Would you like to give up all the abundance that technological capitalism has deposited on your doorstep over the past generation? They'd be like, what? What? Are you crazy? Why would I do that? So they have no intention of relinquishing the abundance of capitalism, but they're also hoping to benefit from the freebies of socialism. I can see that. And when we uh, hear people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, AOC, talk about um, 
socialism, is she on the same page with Bernie or is she touting something different? Well, she's um, on the same page in some respects. And of course, she endorsed Bernie, um, but her tone is completely different. It's like talking to two people from different planets almost. Uh, Bernie has the kind of earnest uh, kind of uh, Rip Van Winkle wine of, you know, it almost feels like this is a guy who's been asleep for 30 years and has woken up, is really surprised to see people using cell phones. Um, AOC lives in the culture. She, she swims in modern American culture, and she's uh, mastered a lingo uh, that is almost sounds semi-stupid, uh, but is very conversational and appealing to young people because she feels, quote, real, like she's giving you the real scoop. Um, and um, so with AOC, you, though, you have a socialism, I think, that is just as much cultural as economic. A lot of leftists and socialists today care more about abortion than the minimum wage. They care more about the transgender bathroom than they do about universal basic income, which means that their agenda is cultural Marxism as much as, as it is economic redistribution. That's uh, good. Those are excellent points. We're going to take a break, and when we return, I'd like to get into just some of the uh, chaos and anarchy that we see taking place in America, just how that relates to the socialist agenda. I'm back with my guest, Dinesh D'Souza, and we're talking about socialism. And um, we see a lot of anarchy in America through uh, Antifa and Black Lives Matter and just general unrest. Uh, would you tie that to the socialist agenda, and if so, how? Well, the anarchy that we see is not, even though Trump says it is, it's not produced by anarchists, because a true anarchist doesn't believe in government at all. Uh, and these anarchists do. So anarchy for them is a means. Uh, and by means, what I'm saying is that they're trying ultimately to break down the existing system so that they can create a new type of state and a new type of culture. Their anarchy is only the road of getting from here to there. So their agenda is socialist. In the long run, they want a strong centralized state. In the long run, they even want cops. So they just want the cops to be their cops. They want to be able to unleash their cops on us. They want a politically correct police force that can be uh, trusted to do their bidding so that when they break the law, it's no big deal. And when we break the law, even if we don't break the law, they can still put us in jail. And do you see that more like totalitarianism, uh, what they want? And then the socialism that you see taking place in America, uh, I would argue that it has Marxist roots. Uh, what would you say about that? Well, the left will emphatically deny that they are trying to impose the authoritarian socialism of Mao and Lenin and Stalin. They insist that they want democratic socialism, which is to say socialism that has the moral backing of the idea of democracy. And it's true that they want to create this kind of majority coalition of oppressed victims. The, the reason they divide society into rich versus poor, black versus white, male versus female, straight versus gay, legal versus illegal, is they're trying to create this sort of 51% majority made up of, victi of supposed victims from all these different groups. 
But their goal is that once they get that majority, they can then loot and oppress the remaining 49%. So they're hoping to achieve, you may say, a socialist result through a democratic means. Now, one of the things that Orwell points out in his, George Orwell, in his books is that democratic socialism somehow always pushes in the direction of authoritarian socialism. So initially they talk about raising the minimum wage, economic redistribution, and living wage, but pretty soon they're starting to tell you what to think, what to say, try to get you fired from your job because of what you believe, trying to control the churches, trying to control the family. So socialism might begin in a sort of democratic way, but pretty soon it takes on an authoritarian tinge. And um, why are they tearing down the historical uh, figure, you know, the statues and um, burning down buildings and trying to erase a lot of America's past and history? Why is that a threat? Well, once again, we turn to Orwell. Orwell's point is that ultimately socialism has to come with a narrative. And the narrative is a kind of a story. Uh, and the story is that uh, things used to be really horrible while all the religious uh, patriarchal uh, fanatics were running things. And now uh, we have to liberate society from all that. We've got to sort of uh, make uh, what was down now come up. We've got to create a sort of inversion, a reverse totem pole. We've got to topple things. So to topple things, you've got to create a narrative that things were in the past all based on oppression. So you have to go back. This is the point of the New York Times of 1619 project. It's not enough to say that America's racist now or that it was racist 50 years ago. You've got to show that it goes all the way back, not just to, even to the founding, not, not just to 1776, but all the way back to 1619 when the first European set foot on this continent. So this is the idea of trying to create a storyline. I, I think at the end of the day, it's a completely bogus storyline uh, with grains of truth, but large doses of fabrication and falsehood. But nevertheless, it's a storyline intended to justify the political agitation that's going on now. Right. I, I can see all of that. And I want to get um, to your film very soon. But why do you think so many people today uh, find socialism appealing? Is it because of the colleges and universities, uh, or is there something else uh, at work? Is it because the media has joined forces with the left? Is it out of ignorance, or do they actually know, you know pretty much what they want? I think a good part of it does come out of the schools and universities. Uh, when I was a student uh, a generation ago, uh, the colleges were liberal, uh, they had a liberal tilt, uh, but there was genuine debate on the campus. I could have named off the top of my head a dozen prominent conservative professors in the Ivy League. It's hard, I'd be hard-pressed today to name even one. Uh, and so what I find today when I speak on campus is that you have young people who have never heard the conservative side of the argument. When they hear it for the first time, they look at you as if though you're from Mars. And that's because their professors have ultimately done them a grievous injustice, have not actually exposed them to ideas, have not taught them to think critically. And so this is a, a terrible problem in our culture. Now, at one point, the craziness was confined to the campus. 
but now it has spilled out. It is metastasized onto the street. And so one could almost say that academia is the theory and Antifa is the practice. The kind of same crazy people who are harassing people in restaurants and breaking shop windows, these are the people who have been taught really a load of lies by many of their teachers and professors. Well, I know that you uh, have been very active on the college campuses through Young America's Foundation and various uh, conservative groups speaking to those young people. And you find them persuadable when you actually get in the room to debate them, or what do you think? Some of them are persuadable in the sense that, in some ways, it's better if someone hasn't heard an argument and they hear it for the first time, because it really hits them like a thunderbolt. And they, have, they go, wow, I, I never heard it that way. I've got to really think about that. Now, that's one group of people, but there's probably a larger group. And what has happened to them is that they have been inoculated not to listen. Their professors have basically told them that if Dinesh shows up on the campus, don't really listen to him. Why? Uh, because his motives are bad. He's a bad guy. Uh, and so, therefore, even though he may sound reasonable, uh, this would be a little bit like the serpent in the garden. You've got to be sort of, you've got to close your mind to this because ultimately um, the, the ideas that you're hearing are, are being used to justify racism and misogyny and oppression. So by, by giving people this line, this propagandistic line, uh, it turns young people into intellectual sort of automatons where they listen to you, but they're not really hearing what you say. Right. We're going to take another break. And when we return, I want you to tell us about Trump Card and what your hopes and aspirations are for the film and for our country. I'm back with our guest, Dinesh D'Souza, and we're talking about socialism and about his new film, Trump Card. And so tell us about um, this film. And I know that your first film, I believe, was Obama 2016. Was that the first? That was the first one. This is number five. And um, this is the only film that I'm releasing straight to uh, video on demand. And by video on demand, I mean you'll be able to watch it on Apple iTunes or Google or Amazon Prime, a whole bunch of platforms. And you can watch it on any device, your big screen TV or computer or whatever. Uh, I wanted to release the movie in the theater, but many theaters are still closed. I didn't want it to be where some people could see it and other people couldn't. Uh, and so that's why the, the difficult decision to release it straight. But this way, people all over the country can watch it at home. That sounds great. And I, and I assume that if people want to do a special screening, that they can organize that and you have people that can help them do it. Uh, for sure. Uh, we used to do these theater buyouts and things, and we're not doing it, obviously, this time because we're not in the theater. We'd like people to download and kind of own the movie. And there's also, of course, the physical DVD as well. Uh, the, book, the movie is loosely based on my book, The United States of Socialism. But a, a book and a movie are two very different things. A book is a sort of intellectual argument with references. A movie is an emotional narrative, a kind of journey. And so this film, like some of my previous films, has... You know, elements of drama, of suspense, of tragedy, of horror, uh, and then of, uh, of inspiration. I think it's, in a way, my, perhaps my most moving film in that it will, it will give people a sense of why they should stand up for America and what the threat really is today. 
Well, I know that a lot of thought goes into the naming of a film. And so you named this film Trump Card. Can you say a little bit about why uh, you chose Trump Card? Um, it was Shakespeare who said of Julius Caesar that he uh, stood bestride the world like a colossus. In other words, he was a giant figure and everything radiated around him. I think it's very clear that this election is all about Trump. Uh, Biden is a sort of stand-in cardboard figure. All the people who will vote for Biden will be voting against Trump. So Trump defines the debate. Uh, he is the sort of man of the hour. And therefore, I think it makes sense in an election year to have a movie that revolves around who is Trump, this very strange and unusual figure uh, that has now become... Uh, in a sense, the leader of the fight against socialism, not just by the way politically, but also in his, most of his career, he was the quintessential capitalist. So if you want to know things like what does a capitalist actually do, uh, you can look at Trump to see what he has done for most of his career. He's a builder. So while, while Trump puts things up, the left pulls things down. And right there you get a very uh, simple but clear glimpse into the difference between capitalism, a system of building, uh, and socialism, a system of destruction. And I know that a lot of conservatives will rush out and watch the film, but what will they see? And do you believe it will reach people that are not already, um, that you're not just preaching to the choir, but you will bring in uh, people that are just curious? So what is it about America that they're going to see that maybe some of us have forgotten? I think that um, the film is really made for conservatives and well-meaning independents. Uh, I think there are lots of people who are interested in these topics. And um, by the way, there's actually nothing wrong in preaching to the converted. Think about it. That's what preachers do every Sunday. Um, the converted need to be nourished in ideas, motivated, fired up. Uh, part of an election is decided by the level of enthusiasm on each side. Uh, we can be safe in thinking that the level of enthusiasm for Biden is about the same as the level of energy in Biden himself, which is to say low. Uh, the enthusiasm for Trump, I think, is running high. Um, and uh, there are lots of independents. I mean, working class people of all races are now up for grabs. This used to be a safe constituency for the Democratic Party. It was part of FDR's constituency for many, many years. Uh, but now a lot of these people want to learn more about politics. They, they feel like something has gone deeply wrong, and my films are sort of the perfect way for them to understand what's going on and what they can do about it. That sounds great. And so... Um... October 9th, it'll be available on all the various platforms that you mentioned? Yes. I mean, people can just go to trumpcardthemovie.com. That's a pretty good place to see a kind of list of all the various platforms. You just kind of click where you want to go, and boom, you can watch the movie. So it's very simple. Or you can just pull it up on your TV. There'll be many different ways to watch it, and trumpcardthemovie.com is a good place to start. And will they uh, have an opportunity to review the film after they watch it? on Rotten Tomatoes or any of those platforms, or is it handled oh, different? For sure. I mean, Rotten Tomatoes typically has been uh, set up for uh, films that are in the theater, uh, but there are all kinds of places where you can put out reviews um, and uh, comments about the film. So we hope people will do that and just hashtag Trump card so we'll be able to see them and share them. Um, so that my movies, uh, interestingly, have been very well rated by the audience. They do annoy the left-wing critics, but I think the reason they annoy them is precisely because they are effective. 
And while I have you here, uh, I understand that you have a new movie uh, 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 called Infidel. Is that correct? Yes, this is my first uh, feature film. My wife Debbie and I got the idea for it a couple of years ago. We wanted to challenge Hollywood, not just in the documentary genre, but also in feature films where they think that they are king and they rule unchallenged. Uh, And we believe we can make a really good movie, a political thriller, in this case, starring Jim Caviezel. It's in the theater now um, and will stay in the theater for a while. uh, And it's getting terrific reviews and, believe it or not, being respectfully treated even by the left-wing critics. Well, that's great. Uh, I have to confess that I have not seen it yet, but I will be looking forward uh, to watching that film. Awesome. It's really about, it's a, the themes are patriotism and religious liberty. You have a patriotic Christian guy from America who gets entrapped in the politics of radical Islam. Uh, he, his faith is on the line. Uh, and so with religious persecution being an issue all around the world, the film also exposes a very interesting uh, phenomenon, the Christian underground in Iran. This is something that you never hear about in the media, yet it's a powerful force in Iran. It's right there in our movie. So the film Infidel is sort of like ripped from the headlines. It's a feature film. And so between Infidel and Trump Card, it's really a nice kind of one-two punch, a film about religious persecution and then um, a documentary about what's going on in the country right now and uh, moving ahead uh, do you have other films that you see yourself uh, producing over the next uh, couple of years or do you sort of take a break and focus on the the latest creations or releases well i'm focusing on the current creations for the simple reason that i have to prove that i can make uh, a go of these films in the market it's a difficult environment with coronavirus but on the other hand if i can show that these movies are viable I will be able, along with Debbie, to make not just documentaries but feature films down the road. So that's our goal. But to get to that goal, we have to demonstrate the viability of our sort of model. And I remember with Hillary's America, the film that I was uh, that I appeared in, that uh, it took us a while to sort of get on the radar with uh, President Trump. Uh, Is it different with the two films that you have newly released this year? I think so. Um, You know, I got my uh, pardon from Trump in 2018. We're a lot closer to the Trump uh, team or entourage, if I can put it that way. Uh, I think that Trump in 2000, even in 2018, when I put out the movie Death of a Nation, uh, because I was pardoned that year, I think Trump was sort of reluctant to get behind the film. He didn't want to make it seem as if this was sort of a quid pro quo. You know, I make a film favorable to him. He gives me a pardon. So I think he was a little, um, he stayed away from that movie and for that reason. Uh, but um, there's been, you know, there's been some time passed since then. This is a tough election. The left has these huge megaphones of academia, Hollywood, the media. So we, by releasing these movies, create a new kind of message. Messaging, and we distribute them uh, a different way. So they're now available. You can watch it at home with your family on TV. So it's fantastic and very helpful to the conservative cause. So I hope that Trump jumps right behind the film and promotes it because it'll help us certainly to reach a much wider audience. And uh, I guess you've seen or heard about the uh, newest film that I'm in, the Uncle Tom film. And that was something that was released in June, but because uh, of COVID, it was not released in the theaters. But we did a screening recently in Nashville, so it is being screened screened in theaters with the tickets uh, sold in advance. 
and uh, it also. I've seen it. Uh, I've seen Uncle Tom. We watched it on our big screen TV, uh, and we really enjoyed it. And it's a very intelligent film, and very important to get those messages and voices out there. So I view these films as all kind of helping each other and complementary to each other. Um, and um, and I certainly wish uh, you and I wish Uncle Tom the best of success. And I want to thank you so much for uh, spending time with us today and uh, telling us about what you're doing to keep America great, uh, because America is already great, but to keep it great. And uh, I know that your films educate a lot of people, and I believe that if our listeners, if you go and you watch the films and you tell your friends, your neighbors, your children about it, um, we will have more people who will understand the political environment and will be able to resist what's taking place in America. And so, Dinesh, I will um, m- make it a priority to see Infidel. I was, uh, did not, you know, I haven't done it yet, but I am. And I will do everything I can uh, to promote your films and look forward to seeing you and Debbie uh, before too long. Thank you, Carol. It's been a pleasure. And for those out there that are listening, remember, it's up to you to be the people who change our nation and our world. And one of the ways we do that, and the most important way, is getting involved. And there's so many ways that you can get involved. And so uh, watching the films, sharing the films, as well as using your social media to promote your values, those are things that a lot of us can do. So until next time, be the people.